Hello, everyone. This is Jason Oxman. You're listening to Transaction Trending, the official podcast of the Electronic Transactions Association. Thanks for tuning in. ETA this year expanded our public policy advocacy work in Canada. Our efforts there give the payments industry a stronger voice in forward-thinking policy that supports innovation and global partnerships. This month, ETA's government affairs team is conducting an industry fly-in in the Canadian capital city of Ottawa to connect with lawmakers and regulators. Canada's payments marketplace and the policy environment that governs it are unique. Joining us on this episode of Transaction Trending is Angela Brown, President and CEO of Moneris. Moneris is Canada's largest payments processor. Angela is a recognized leader in our industry. Across her 25-year career in payments, she served as an executive at MasterCard, Visa, TSIS, and the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce prior to taking over the reins at Moneris in 2013. In 2015, she was given the ETA Distinguished Payments Professional Award, our industry's highest honor. Angela has a unique expertise on the Canadian payments ecosystem. She joined us at ETA's Strategic Leadership Forum in the Count Podcast Production Studio to talk about Canada, Moneris, and her vision for the future of payments in North America. Let's take a listen. Hello, everyone. I'm here at the Count Podcast Production Studio at ETA's Strategic Leadership Forum. I'm joined now by Angela Brown, CEO of Moneris. Hi, Angela. Hello. Thank you so much for being with us today on Transaction Trending. Uh, Moneris, of course, is known as a leader in the Canadian payments marketplace. You top the list of the biggest payment processors in Canada and uh, are indeed a, a major player across North America. Let's start off by talking about how the Canadian payments market is a little different from the U.S. Um, I know there are a lot of ways that we could spend the entire podcast talking about it, but what are some of the, the major ways in which uh, life is different for a payments company in Canada versus the United States? You know, um, I've worked on both sides of the border as well, and I think one of the best ways to think about Canada is that it's a hybrid between uh, a lot of things that are in the, go on in the European market and the U.S., uh, and, and so each of those markets, if you were coming from either one of those markets, you might see a lot that's familiar and then some unique differences. And, and so when you think about the Canadian market, debit is obviously a proprietary network in Canada, the Interact network. That's been owned and developed by, uh, started off with uh, the top five banks and is now an expanded platform available to any bank and some non-banks as well. Uh, but, you know, Canadians love their debit cards. And it is a chip and pin solution, and Canadians have been using that for 10 years, uh, chip and pin. They've been using pin on, on plastic even longer than that. So it has a, a really uh, solid uh, background. It's it deeply embedded in the way that Canadians like to shop. It's interesting as well that, that there's a certain amount of Canadians mapping their expenditures to certain kinds of cards and because debit is so prevalent. And in the beginning, uh, grocery and certain uh, everyday consumables were always uh, allocated to the debit card side, and you'll still see a preponderance of debit usage in those, those types of channels. So that's one thing, debit. Another is, as I mentioned, EMV, chip and pin, been around a long time in Canada, deeply ingrained, very much like the Europe 
a European uh, market and, and pin on credit as well as on debit. So it started on debit, but it, that made it a very easy transition for Canadians when uh, the banks got together and decided that because of fraud losses, they needed to incorporate PIN on credit. And so that whole technology is, is uh, completely embedded in uh, the point of sale. Uh, there are very few holdouts now at this point that, that would not be uh, EMV compliant. And uh, that, that makes for some different differences when it comes to the way we would work with an ISV, which ISVs have the upper hand, depends upon um, their familiarity with uh, uh, chip and pin. Is that also one of the reasons that contactless has been so much more successful in Canada than it has been in the U.S.? We obviously are in the process of rolling out contactless not long after we migrated to EMV, sometime after Canada did, uh, but it is a, uh, a definite uh, coordination issue on both the acquiring and the issuing side. Uh, technologies like contactless are much more ubiquitous in Canada. Is uh, that uh, more centralized payments market one of the reasons for that? Absolutely, because the rules required to for everyone to agree on, especially when it comes to liability shift and things like that, it is a, a tighter conversation to, to be had. It's also, though, that the acceptance of chip and pin um, and, the, and the conditioning that occurred with the consumer and with the businesses meant that it was a natural next step in some ways to say, you know, below a certain dollar amount, if this card with the chip is good, I don't need the PIN because the risk and the liability um, is such that I, as a merchant, am comfortable taking that risk on. And especially when the networks say, um, uh, you know, that, that there'll be some liability shift related to it. And so I think it was a combination of, yes, fewer players and they can coordinate, but also because that once you get your consumer used to using different kinds of technology at the point of sale, it really lays the groundwork for that to keep moving and evolving. And I think the U.S. market is going to see the same thing by finally rolling out chip. Even though they didn't do it with chip and pin, people are getting accustomed to that. Uh, and, and it starts to set up the, the merchants to also get comfortable that I have a certain amount of guarantee here that this is a good card, that this is a more secured card than a MagStripe card would have been. You mentioned that the sales channel is also very different in Canada than in the U.S. Uh, the U.S., there are thousands of ISOs, there are payment facilitators, ISVs out there selling uh, to merchants. Can you talk to us a little bit about Moneris's sales channel, how you reach your merchant customers, and then more broadly, um, what does the uh, evolving sales channel look like uh, in Canada? Who's out selling to merchants? Right. And, you know, this is where the Canadian market, I would say, uh, follows the U.S. market more, uh, but, but lags it by a few years. And so there was a time in my memory when there were no ISOs in Canada. I was very young at the time, but anyways, uh, there, there, there simply wasn't that model. And the bank-owned acquiring business uh, lasted longer in Canada. And so that the banks were not as quick to divest of these businesses. And so the focus on the branch referrals and on independent salespeople that were employees of the acquirer, so those feet on the street, 
uh, and then some telephone sales, but it, you know that was the the sort of foundational way to go to market, and it lasted longer in Canada than it did in the U.S. And so you know referrals from the branch networks are still an important part of sales in the U.S., but uh, but they're referring now to a partner as opposed to a, a department of of their own bank, and uh, you know that has gradually arrived in Canada, and and once you start getting accustomed to referring. Uh, your, sale, your sales into uh, a partner, you can also start to get comfortable with the idea of also hiring out your sales so the people that were your employees and feet on the street um, can also be part of an ISO. And it can give you the expanded coverage that you may not be able to afford uh, as, on an employee basis, but you can afford them as part of an agent for you. Canada is uh, physically a very big country but um, much smaller population than the U.S. And so covering all of those rural markets and northern markets uh, can be a challenge to do in a very traditional model. And that's where ISOs have also started to uh, come on stream. But, you know, sales distribution is continuing to evolve. So there is a significant portion now that is telephone sales based. We have offshore sales specialists for certain kinds of sales and promotion activities. Uh, and then we're all investing, and we're in, at Monero uh, significantly investing in digital sales and digital onboarding of customers. Uh, and so what we want to do is make sure we have the market covered, that uh, we can support the way that merchant wants to engage and sign up, whether it's a face-to-face -face or whether it's digital. And, uh, and make that as seamless as possible for the customer. And Moneris is a joint venture of two large Canadian banks. You mentioned there are five um, principal large uh, banks in Canada, uh, similar to uh, a model, uh, for example, in the U.S., of U.S. Bank and Elevon being a, a bank-owned uh, or Chase's uh, acquiring business. Does the model of the sponsor bank um, similarly exist in Canada as it does here, where third-party uh, ISOs or ISVs or payment facilitators can get the kind of bank sponsor sponsorship that will allow them to go out uh, and sell directly to merchants, or does it work a little bit differently? Uh, it is there, and it is becoming a better understood option by the banks primarily. Um, and uh, so I think you are going to see more of that uh, going forward. But at the same time as that sponsorship approach has uh, finally made it to the Canadian market, so has the deeper understanding of the kinds of responsibilities that these banks are signing up for, which I know has landed quite harshly in the U.S. in some cases, uh, where the bank did not realize what kind of um, uh, under, undertaking they were uh, going with when they became a sponsor to an ISO or um, another party. So I would say that it is possible. It is not simple. The financial institutions in Canada are... Um, have learned a lot from watching the U.S. market evolve. But, uh, you know, good players, all the major players that are non-bank are operating in Canada, and they are doing that with some sponsorship. And so it is, it is thriving, I would say. You were instrumental in helping ETA uh, have its first ever event uh, in Canada, in Toronto, uh, which was very well attended, uh, a sold-out event, uh, where we discussed some of the policy challenges um, in Canada. 
uh, ETA uh, recently launched, again, with your uh, great help, uh, a policy initiative, uh, bringing a lobbyist on board to help us in Ottawa. Um, can you tell us, uh, just at a high level, um, how the policy environment in Canada looks? How much time do you, as CEO of Moneris, have to spend worrying about regulatory and policy issues? Do you have people on the team who are devoted to it? Is it a, is it a big part of um, the success or failure of a payments business in Canada? You know, it is because it's, it's just table stakes that you have to understand it and you have to make sure that you, and I, I wouldn't even use the word comply, I would use the word honor it, uh, because it is part of a system now that um, we've all agreed as part of the undertaking, and uh, to demonstrate real integrity in the way that the industry operates. And I, I think we all do better when uh, we, we operate in this manner. So uh, year over year, it, it depends. Sometimes it has monopolized a lot of our time when, when there have been new requirements in terms of the way that they want uh, merchant statements published, you know, they'll get very much involved in some of the detail and that can be very challenging because we're all working with legacy systems and, and things that you don't really want to invest in that don't, you know, create new value for you but that you need to make sure that you're on the right side and, and that you are demonstrating the transparency and the willingness to uh, raise the level of performance in the industry. So, uh, so it's absolutely mandatory and uh, the, the Canadian government I think it sees what's evolving in Europe uh, and other markets, and they want to make sure that they're creating as much of a level playing field as they can, but they've also taken their time and therefore had the opportunity to see where there have been missteps around the world. And so, uh, you know, the presence of ETA, it, it's such a relief from my perspective because a lot of the advice that the uh, Canadian government has been looking for has traditionally come from the banks. The banks are less educated on the merchant acquiring business as they've divested of it or as they've had it more arm's length. And so the voice of the merchant acquiring business has been diluted over time. And we've always engaged and we've always provided our own opinion. It is going to be so much more valuable to have a consolidated opinion that comes from the industry. It's clearly not just about one company's preference. It, especially as the market leader, in some ways we, we can't always express our preference because we may be um, considered to not be neutral enough. But you know, the industry overall coordinating multiple voices, this is a really great opportunity for us to influence. And there's still time to influence what the Canadian government uh, wants to undertake when it comes to regulation. And we're certainly seeing a lot of U.S. companies with an interest in the Canadian market. Um, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about uh, that interest in the other direction. Of course, you presided over the sale of Moneris's U.S. business to Vantif, now WorldPay, um, but you continue, I know, to expand across Canada, and uh, I'm curious what the thoughts are about uh, Moneris coming back outside the U.S., serving customers in the U.S. Is there anything you can tell us about uh, international plans for Moneris, or generally speaking, how you see the interest of Canadian payments companies uh, coming into the U.S. looking for partnerships there? You know, as far as I'm concerned, um, any really good payments player uh, that is not in the U.S. wants to come to the U.S. It is the most competitive, but also biggest, most dynamic market. This is where you want to be and prove yourself. Uh, and so it, it's very natural that any, any Canadian fintech, any startup, they want to operate in the U.S., and we certainly see that. And we see ourselves, you know, the, the asset we had was not at scale, and it was going to need 
quite a bit of investment in, in a certain way that um, was not going to align with our priorities or our shareholders' priorities. However, we know from our experience that we have some really terrific capabilities and assets uh, that we've developed for the Canadian market that now that the U.S. market is, uh, gone, has gone chip, uh, we, we, there's more runway for those solutions than ever before. And we don't need to be a full functioning acquirer the way we were in order to leverage those capabilities and uh, partner with other players who want to take advantage of that. So we've had those kinds of conversations and you will absolutely see us do some things, but it'll be more targeted. It'll be based on certain solutions that we think we have something to offer. Uh, and uh, it, it will not be in the sort of broader scale of uh, merchant acquiring that we were operating in before. We talk a lot about fintech and technology innovations in the payments industry, and obviously there are a lot of fintech startups here in the U.S. as there are in Canada. Uh, I'm curious how much time you spend as, as CEO of the largest uh, acquirer processor in, in, in Canada thinking about the fintech marketplace, looking for new technologies to deploy on behalf of your merchant customers uh, or new services or, or products to offer or uh, even uh, brand new ways of thinking about financial services. Talk to me about the fintech marketplace in Canada and what your view is of it. Well, financial services is a very active part of the Canadian economy, so fintech has also been extremely active. Uh, and there's, I, I don't know if you've seen recently uh, some articles that talk about how blockchain, uh, you know, that Canada has become a center for blockchain. And there's a lot of engineering capability as well in the sort of Toronto Waterloo corridor. So lots of fintechs and lots of interest. We tend to get an opportunity to see those either because we just have a market presence, so we attract a certain amount of uh, that kind of attention and people that would like to do business in Canada want to talk to us and understand it. Uh, but we also engage in um, a number of uh, innovation centers. So there's the Mars Innovation Center in Toronto, uh, and we uh, have been very active with them. And we participate in different uh, types of competitions that occur, whether it's on the sales side or whether with fintechs or whether it's uh, some kind of coding event and so we have an opportunity to be exposed to different startups that way and I think that um, with with fintech the the question is always do you want to partner with them do you want to own them will you crush them if you own them and uh, destroy the very thing that you value so uh, you know we're very engaged we have an opportunity to talk to a lot of them uh, we have done some really interesting things with them and between ourselves and our, our shareholders, uh, there's a lot of attention paid to that space. Um, and, and, you know, you just see them grow up over time. Uh, ISVs that were startups a couple of years ago, and they're really well-established businesses now that have started in Canada. So. We're here at the ETA Strategic Leadership Forum, where you, Angela, and many of your peers who run uh, businesses uh, across the payments industry are talking about uh, opportunities and challenges uh, for the future in the payments industry. Uh, I'm curious, as we, uh, we bring this discussion to a close, what you're focused on as far as the biggest opportunities or perhaps the biggest challenges for Moneris, for your team, uh, what you're excited about uh, in the payments industry, or what you're kind of advising people to be cautious about looking at? You know, I think that the consumer-facing side of the point-of-sale 
and uh, acquiring industry has done a lot of good work in the past few years to really up their game on the innovation side, to really start to uh, tailor solutions to certain merchant verticals, and to focus on a seamless experience. And so I think a lot of what we want to do to increase the innovative spirit has happened when it comes to that very front-facing, client-facing uh, piece of the business. But as a number of the speakers here today talked about, uh, a lot of the challenge to really moving the needle or doing things differently when it comes to the business is going to require a different kind of plumbing than we have today. And, and so we are very focused on not just that kind of cool front-end experience that uh, a lot of fintech is attracted to, but that once you get that authorization for a transaction, how does it flow? How does the information flow with it? And how could it get reconciled faster uh, than, it, than it does today? And that is all about the clearing and the settlement capabilities and what kind of data you can carry along with that transaction. And so we are investing quite a bit in our infrastructure. And that's uh, in, in order to be able to respond to some of those opportunities or to fulfill the promise. So if the front end cool stuff it requires that seamless experience all the way through to the end, then that's been the stumbling block lately is, is to make sure that the middle and the back end of merchant acquiring is also up to the kind of nimbleness and seamlessness that the front end piece has, has had. Um, so that's a big focus for us. Cybersecurity will always be a big focus for m most of us. And uh, you know we continue to up our game there, as do uh, the challenges. And so that one will, will never change. And I think as we also look at really new payment schemes, I think we have a natural you know, capability, uh, expertise when it comes to the traditional payment schemes. But as we see some of these new emerging schemes like uh, Alipay and WeChat Pay, uh, with different technology and different requirements, uh, it's going to stretch us to make our, our, all of our systems, the front end and the back end, uh, more flexible and nimble in order to accommodate without having to rewrite everything from scratch. So those are, the, those are the things we're realizing we have to create. And I'm hoping that we're creating those in our architecture, hopefully one time to some degree, and enabling us to respond for years to come in a more flexible way. Angela Brown is the president and CEO of Moneris. She joined us here at ETA's Strategic Leadership Forum. Angela, thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you, Jason. Our thanks to Angela Brown, president and CEO of Moneris, for joining us on the podcast. And thank you for listening. If you like the Transaction Trending podcast, be sure to subscribe so you can get the latest episodes delivered straight to your device twice a month. Look us up on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and SoundCloud to subscribe. And you can always visit our website, transactiontrending.com, to stream and share your favorite episodes. The Transaction Trending Podcast is just one of many ETA informational resources. From industry trend reports, magazines, and newsletters, to webinars, events, certifications, and education, ETA offers a huge variety of resources to payments professionals. Visit electran.org for more information. 
I'm Jason Oxman. Thanks for listening to Transaction Trending. This has been Transaction Trending, a podcast powered by the Electronic Transactions Association. ETA is the leading trade association for the payments industry, representing over 500 payments technology companies worldwide. This episode was produced by Laura Hubbard and Patrick Nolan. It was recorded, edited, and mixed by Patrick Nolan. For more information on the Electronic Transactions Association, visit electran.org.